This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick. A new age of heroes is finally here. That's right. It's time for the official Rick and Rick review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. With all the R-rated action and never-ending slow-mos. And extended scenes and like eight or nine endings. Oh my god. Plus all the rumors about the Snyderverse that might have been. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody ricks a fight with Darkseid. And everybody rules the world. Hey, welcome one and welcome all to the official Rick and Rick review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm Rick Matheson and I am joined as always by my good friend, Jonathan Kent. I, I mean, Rick Wooten. How you doing, Rick? I'm fantastic. Yeah, it's been beautiful here in California. And, I've, and you know, because the COVID thing seems to be under control, I've actually been able to go out and enjoy going to the park and things like that. So I've, I've really, really had a good weekend. Good. I went for a long hike today and uh, you're right, it is spectacular. For a couple minutes, I was thinking about last, I don't know, August, September, wherever, when we had all this, the fires in California and how bad the air was. Well, this was the exact opposite. It was truly, truly spectacular this weekend. So I'm glad you were able to uh, to get out and about. So yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we saw this movie, folks. So we're going to have to do our best to try to recreate things here. Uh, this has been the first chance that we've had to get together for this. And, and Rick, uh, sort of top line take on this movie is that one, hell, it's long, four hours and two minutes. And two, if this is the Zack Snyder cut, I kind of want the Zack Snyder, Josh, Whedon dance mix. I felt like I want to see this movie, but there were instances where Whedon made the same sort of joke much funnier. And so I want to just see those portions sort of spliced in. But yeah. what was your overall reaction yeah. to the movie? You know, I, it, it's uh, it was an interesting movie. First of all, uh, I did see it broken up over a couple of days. So um, maybe this comment isn't totally fair, but it really didn't feel like four hours. It felt like it moved pretty good. Um, you know, the, the tempo for the movie overall was really good. And, you know, the, the one thing that I griped about a ton, if you remember our first review of this, the theatrical release is I didn't even understand what was going on half the time. There was like a whole bunch of scenes where it's like, I think you expect that I know something from the comics and I don't, uh, this, (laughs) This movie was not like that. I I totally was able to follow this. I understood the storylines. I really liked the uh, the kind of backstory that they uh, put in place for both the Flash and Cyborg. It was a little yeah. bit better than the original the- theatrical release. So overall, yes. I think I think they did a really good job. Uh, now that said, uh, I thought there was a lot of scenes that could have been cut shorter. Um, yeah. You know, lots of lots of brooding and thinking and, you know, no dialogue and, you know, no real value being added and things should have been trimmed up. I mean, easily probably could have cut an hour out of it. I think a three hour movie would have been appropriate. Well, hell, just no slow-mos or fewer slow-mos would have cut it to three hours, most likely. So for the three of you out there who haven't seen the movie yet, this version of the Justice League takes up with Superman's death scream as he sacrifices himself to stop the Kryptonian monster known as 
Doomsday at the end of Batman vs. Superman. And somehow this awakens three apocalyptic mother boxes that call out, I guess, to the malevolent Steppenwolf in his quest to regain favor with the ultimate DC villain, Dark side. Now, the logline here really would, is something along the lines of Can Batfleck assemble a new league of heroes in a screen time of less than 19 hours? And what happens when they decide that they've got to resurrect the Man of Steel to stop? the bad guys. I agree with you, Rick. This is a better movie, I felt, than the theatrical release. But I do want to start with this Superman scream. That was something that I'm not sure I completely got. So this scream apparently woke these mother boxes that have been hidden around the world. Uh, The Amazons have one, Mankind has one, and the Atlanteans have one because they were able to send Darkseid packing thousands of years ago when all the tribes of men and the Atlanteans and the Amazons and the old gods like Ares and Zeus were able to uh, repel Darkseid and his forces. Well, what I couldn't quite figure out is why did his scream activate them? Later on in the movies, uh, Batman and Wonder Woman are talking about it at one point. Someone talks about it where it was a signal that there was no Kryptonian on the planet. Well, there wasn't a Kryptonian before Superman was here either for thousands of years. So how come this activated then. Did you get a sense of that? You know, I think I interpreted it slightly different than you. I mean, the the scream obviously was the the shockwave. The scream is what we saw in Mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie. But uh, my interpretation was that um, it was the carried along with the scream was the energy of his death. And like that was what awoke that woke up the the boxes that was that was how i interpreted it um and and to your point uh like i hadn't really thought about that but yeah there wasn't a kryptonian around before that so why did that why did that specific thing uh awaken them and and maybe it's because the the boxes had been laid to rest uh on earth and and so that was that was why i don't know i don't know the only other explanation I could think of is uh, Stephen Wolf does say there's no Kryptonian, no lantern. Possibly there was a Green Lantern on Earth until recently, or until there was yeah. a Superman. And then when Superman was killed, there was neither. And so that somehow signaled to Stephen Wolf, hey, you know, this planet's unguarded, or at least doesn't have the firepower to uh, deflect us like, I guess, planets that do have Kryptonians right. and <laughs> Green Lanterns. I mean, that also just did not, I, I just didn't follow that, that whole yeah. thing. But, you know, that was actually one of the big changes they made was actually how the movie started. Yes. If you if you remember with the original theatrical release, um, it started with somebody watching a video about like a camera phone video of Superman talking about how there's hope yeah. in the world. And like it was a very much a feel good thing versus, you know, the Snyder version was all about, you know, Superman gets killed you know, the shockwave from that ends up activating the boxes and then off we go to the races. So it was a a very different, like, um, setting. It's a very different feel for the movie. Very, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the first place that they kind of pick up the scenes that the Whedon cut had was the first time that we see Wonder Woman. There's this terrorist group who've taken kids and others hostage in a financial institution of some kind in London, and they're going to just blow up the place because they're anarchists. And it's the same same scene, but when Diana Wonder Woman appears, she does not mince anything here. She's like exploding heads and stuff. There was a scene where she she flings one of the bad guys anyway, and you see his 
his head smash against the far wall moments before she says, okay, everybody, everything's fine. And a little girl says, can I be like you when I grow up? It's like as if there wasn't blood and guts, you know, spattered all over the place. You're right. The Flash and Cyborg backstories were far more fleshed out here. And there was a lot of humor in at least Barry Allen, the Flash's extended version of his backstory. We finally get to see him meet Iris West. I, I like this scene a lot. Yeah, you know, I did too. And, and in fact, it's one of the things I made note of that I, I was going to mention to you is just how much better the backstories on the characters were, uh, you know, both yeah. both Flash and Cyborg. I, you yeah. know, I, I kind of felt like, um, you know, the, the Flash character in the, in the theatrical release was a little two dimensional. And yeah. this one, you know, it's got a little more texture. And I still think I like the CW version of the Flash better, but this one went a long yeah. ways to like closing the gap between the two. And then straight up, Cyborg, I like it was way better. Like I, I don't yeah. even remember if the original one had much of a backstory, but this one, this one was fantastic. And I didn't, I didn't mind all the slow cuts. Um, I, you know, I think. The, like I said before, you know, there, the, some of the things were just stretched out way too much, and I felt like we could have cut an hour out of the movie easily without losing anything. So, so for Victor, I mean, he was in some ways kind of the emotional heart of this movie. It's the story of Victor Stone, who is a football star, and we see him in his life before he becomes cyborg and the tragedy that befell he and his mom and Silas feeling guilty for it all. He's not going to lose his son, and so he activates the mother box. I'm not sure how he knew that that was going to do anything, but the mother box kind of reconstructs Victor's body and now he is learning the powers of the cybernetics. Now, a couple things that were different. So when we do see the Amazons for the first time in this version of the movie, this scene is much better. Yeah. And I liked the theatrical version of this scene, but this is a big improvement over it when, when Stefan Wolf uses a boom tube to steal the mother box that is under the protection of the Amazons. And that battle scene was fantastic. Fantastic. And I love yeah. that scene where he says something, you will fear me or whatever. And, and Queen Apollo says, Amazon, show him your fear. And then they all take him on. Yeah, you know, I liked I liked that scene all the way up until the end of it. I When they were running ac riding across the field and they got into that very last battle, it felt like it, it was just like, all right, enough. Let's wrap it up. And then, the, you know, just like was super abrupt. Uh, it just it felt a little bit off to me. Uh, but maybe, maybe you know, that was intentional. Well, what what happened was they had kind of come in an impasse. He had control of the mother box, and then all of the Amazons come rushing over the hill, and he knew, okay, this is going to be a tough fight. I may as well just take off because I got what I wanted. So it was a little abrupt, but I love the scene where the the temple or whatever the mother box is in collapses into the sea. I thought that that kind of gave an extra heroism to the Amazons who, who fought there to stop him. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. Well, you know, one of, one of the other things that I really criticized at the theatrical release that they fixed in this one, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to basically argue against myself here in a second is um, if you remember, I said that, you know, the chemistry be between the different actors and, and characters just wasn't there. You know, I kind of referenced the, um, Batman, you know, Wonder Woman kind of conversation uh, uh, earlier on in the movie. I felt like in this version, they largely addressed that. And so, you know, you, you could kind of see in like uh, Alfred had much more scenes than he had in the first one. You got to see yeah. him actually interact with Superman towards the end. And and so it was just a, it was just a much stronger 
emotional connection to the, the the characters you really felt like you could understand them the yeah. uh, the one place where i felt like that kind of fell apart was where superman all of a sudden remembered everything clark kent remembered everything and then you know he's, yeah he's talking to his mom and to lois and it's like yeah well i guess i should go home it for me that one scene was kind of like a well, wow, you, you've done so well throughout all these other interactions with other people. Like, why why did it just fall apart right here? Yeah. So that was, that was one that I just didn't like that much, just the way they, they rolled that out. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because with Superman, when we first see Lois Lane, there is a pregnancy test sitting there and it's positive. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it at all. I don't know if you did. Oh, I yeah, saw I, it. I didn't yeah. notice it at all. That yeah. is something that we'll talk about in just a little bit. I kind of liked Whedon's thing where Batman had her in his back pocket, you know, in case they had problems once they resurrected Superman. Here, it's just by chance. In fact, she had come to Heroes Plaza to finally say goodbye to Superman moments before he's back. And then she comes running back and, and happens to to find him there. In Wynn's version, there was consternation about resurrecting Superman that just did not exist here. Wonder Woman and the rest of them were like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, Aquaman, I think, was the only one in this version that had any kind of concern over it, and that even came later. So I thought that was a little bit odd. I'm curious what you thought about the appearance of Martha Kent at Lois Lane's door and what that turned out to be. Yeah, so in this, again, is one of those uh, those conversations where I felt like the emotional connection was made between the characters. So I really liked the emotional connection. I really liked that. And as I said before, I think that was one of the things this film did a lot better. Uh, the problem is, is when Martha walked outside the door and turned into, you know, a, a different person, this green creature. So I thought it was those green creatures up in space that Captain Marvel interacted with. And it wasn't until I just started talking about this that I realized, no, that's the that's a whole different universe. I'm, I've got them confused. So I, I didn't realize it was, what is it? Something Martian? Like, I, I, I don't know that character. Yeah, that was one thing they just never explained. Now, this was the Martian Manhunter. That character in the comics is a Martian who had been in a massive war on Mars millions of years ago. Right. But somehow he was transported to modern day Earth. This character is as strong as Superman, can shapeshift, can phase through solid objects, and he is an extremely powerful telepath. That's how he knew about all the pain that Lois Lane was in and knew who Martha Kent was and knew how to imitate her to try to get Lois to move on with her life after Clark's death. No explanation in this movie, and he reappears at the end to Bruce Wayne to say, hey, Darkseid's coming and I'll join the fight. I can see why you would be confused by that. Now, what I have read is that is not who Zack Snyder wanted in the movie. He wanted Green Lantern, my understanding, even now when he was finishing this one up, the folks at Warner said, no, you you can't use him because there are big plans for that character. And so they said no. And and so he went with Martian Manhunter. So that was interesting. And then when they finally do resurrect him, I did not need, God, Flash running and touching things to electrify things in this movie. It was just like, please, just, I wanted to hit fast forward on the Flash. So (laughs) Superman just, you know, has a moment back on the farm and we see Martha Kent and Lois. And can you wonder, I wonder if 
Lois is going to say something like, thanks for coming to visit me in Metropolis. And Ma Kent going, I didn't visit you in Metropolis. But so somehow Stephen Wolf comes to realize that the anti-life equation is on Earth. And so he's super excited about that because he's close to taking over the planet by getting the three mother boxes, which will form this unity and completely overwrite. It's kind of like uh, from Star Trek II, the Genesis uh, device that made life from nothingness. Well, this does the reverse. It kills everything. Well, he's excited. He's got the unity almost set up. And on top of that, there is the anti-life equation, which in the comics, Darkseid is always pursuing. It's an equation of some kind that he's able to control all living things. And that's why he's able to control Superman later on in those visions that Bruce Wayne is having. But anyway, he finally gets through to Darkseid, who's super excited about it. And as a comic book fan, it was cool to see Darkseid. Uh, but what's interesting is since the movie, I've read that Snyder's been open about what the other two movies were going to be about. Now, all this time, I thought it was two movies. I thought it was Justice League and then a sequel, but I was wrong that there was a trilogy here. My understanding is, yes, Lois is pregnant. Uh, what I've read is that Superman's going to go fight Darkseid and hides Lois and Baby in the Batcave. Uh and asks Bruce, don't let anything happen to her. Well, she is murdered by Darkseid, and then that's enough for Superman to crack and for Darkseid to take over Superman's mind. And in the second movie, revealed that this baby, the child, does not have superpowers. In the third movie, it's revealed that he becomes the new Batman. Oh, so Superman's son becomes the next Batman in the Snyderverse. Uh, he's been open about this just because he's fairly confident those movies will will never be made curious uh any other thoughts and then we'll get to final grades uh you know one of the other big changes and oh my god it was so welcome is uh when the flash was running in the snyder cut uh he didn't have those weird bowed legs do you remember that yeah yes i was yes. so glad that that was uh that that was eradicated that it you know kind of brought it back to i don't know more of a natural run i mean obviously it's not natural to be able to run at that speed but it didn't seem like some weird lobster leg thing so yeah i thought those changes were were improvements yeah i i did i did as well and you know and then the the last thing i'll mention uh and you you brought this up in a minute ago but we didn't really explore the implications is um you know the flash did travel back in time which is a dramatic departure from the first movie and so what is your thought on that? Is that is that in any way going to impact, you know, the timeline? I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of different timeline things, but I, I've just, you know, I don't I don't know. Is there is there a repercussion for him doing that? Yeah, I wondered about that. So, you know, we do know the Flash movies being made and it does sound like there is some kind of alternate reality, you know, thing coming from that or Flashpoint type. Thing. I don't know how there's not a repercussion from that. I could see why that would have tied in with the Flash movie. In the Flashpoint paradox, the comics, it does have tremendous repercussions. Cool. All right. Final grade for the Snyder Cut. So it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. You know, this is a tough one. I I'm going to go with the B+. You know, I, I, I felt like um, it, it filled in a lot of the gaps for me. Uh, I'd give it an A, except that I, I still feel like one, uh, it was way too long. I, I, I like I said, it could could easily have lost an hour, and it would have been just as good of a movie. And and two, it, it felt like at times it, there were some things that were done just to be different than the original one that you know didn't necessarily need to be. It just it just felt like it was a little bit too forced. 
that said, I, I, I really liked it. I really thought it was good. Yeah. When I first saw it, if we'd had the the review earlier, closer to when it came out, I would have definitely given it a B, B plus. Now it's a little tougher for me. And I, I would put it now B minus to C plus, but I'm going to say B minus only because I don't ever need to see it again. I, I didn't think anything necessarily stood out so much like, oh my God, I got to see Justice League again. So I'm going to give it a B minus. That's fair. All right. Well, that is going to have to wrap up the official Rick and Rick review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. One new feature at the close of Rick and Rick is that Rick and Rick will donate $10 to nonprofit Feeding America, which is a profit that helps food insecure kids and their families. We're going to donate $10 for each person who goes on to iTunes and gives us a five-star review, snags a screen capture, and emails it to us at rick at rickandrick.com. Up to five people between this episode and the next. So 50 bucks. It'll help people find Rick and Rick and show some Rick and Rick love. And you'll be, just for the five seconds it takes you to do that, doing a good deed that will aid feeding America and the folks that it serves. So please go ahead and do that. I think this is a great way for us to, to give back to the community and uh you know, to encourage our fans to, to let other people know about our shows. Awesome. And with that, just before we leave here, Rick, why don't you share your Twitter handle? Absolutely. You can always get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. And what about you, Rick? I am at Rick Matheson on Twitter. And of course, you can find all of our social handles and more at rickandrick.com. Until next time, keep yourself and each other safe and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick and everybody rules the world. 